Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good with Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. I would love to preach to you now. Is that all right? All right. Uh, I'd love it if you turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel 16. Carlos, you're going to help me. Okay. I texted you. You didn't respond, but you're in anyways. Come on. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. So uh, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to 1 Samuel 16. And uh, we're uh, starting something new today. Come on. set of messages is called The Grace Space. Um, this is my friend Carlos. Um, he is one of my favorite people in the world. I've known him for like a bazillion years. And he has a very important role in my life, which is uh, anybody who knows me, spends any time around me knows I have uh, three boys and they all play, I have a daughter also, I have three boys who play a lot of sports. And so a lot of times on Sundays, we finish church, uh, like today we finish church, and then there's like three basketball games to go to this afternoon. And uh, on Sundays, I wake up, usually pretty early, and we're here doing church, and we're praying for people, and we're ministering to people. And I don't always get to those afternoon activities with like an equilibrium. And thank you. And so uh, I like to make myself known Especially, you know, how I feel like if the referees are doing a good job or a bad job, I just kind of like, I like to express myself, you know? Yeah. And uh, so Carlos is uh, one of the calmest people that God ever placed on this earth, even right now. And so this is what he does. He's, he just, he comes with me a lot of times on Sundays to the games. And uh, he just does this. When it starts getting a little, he just goes like this. <laughs> and it's this like little cue that, uh, I just then it's kind of like, yeah, right, 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 right. These are children. Who cares? You're a pastor. <laughs> You're holding a Bible in your hand. You want all these people to know about Jesus. Like, it's just, and it just kind of helps me kind of just like. And it's like his, his calmness is this, what I'm going to talk a little bit about, this like grace space for me that it's somehow I like I feed off of it and it brings calm to me. And uh, it's a real gift. And thank goodness because your pastor man up in prison if he wasn't here and doing it. Uh, <laughs> No? Okay, that felt maybe not the best joke. Anyways, here's the point. Uh, and so, this is what I want, thanks, buddy. This is what I want to talk about um, today is this idea of a grace space. It's what we're going to be talking about for a bunch of different weeks in a row. A grace space is a, a spiritual perspective of trust and joy where I can see past my temporary challenges to God's supernatural purposes. Do you see it? So a grace space is where whatever I'm dealing with right now, uh, I got some people in my life that I care about that are seniors in high school and they're trying to figure out where to go to college. And a grace space is, I don't know yet, but I know God's going to help me figure it out. I've got some people in my life who are uh, going through that deep valley of confusion through divorce. And the grace space is, it hurts bad right now, but I know that God is going to bring me through. Do you see? 
we're going to use the life of King David, who you may know about from the Old Testament, to try to help us learn about this. We're going to do this for a while, uh, and I'm excited about it. So we're going to start at the beginning of David's story, which is in 1 Samuel 16. If you have a Bible, I hope you've turned there, because I'm going to show you some of the verses, but some of them aren't in there. And in 1 Samuel 16, he says this. He says, the Lord, it starts like this, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? So fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. All right, so you got to like understand a little bit of the history. Uh, God didn't want Israel to have a king. He was like, you know what kings do? They tax you and they send you to war and, and they steal the pretty girls and they're just not great guys, kings. So we're going to do a different thing. I'll be your king. And we'll have these people judges that will kind of help make things happen. That was the way that God set it up. But the people were like, no, we want a king. 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 And so finally God was like, you want a king? Have one. And he let the people of Israel pick a king. And they picked this guy, Saul. And this guy, Saul, was exactly who you would think a bunch of people would pick. The, the Bible says that he was tall, like a head taller than anyone else in Israel. And he was handsome and he had great hair. And when he was at his best, he was a powerful, strong, exceptional person. But a lot of times he wasn't at his best. And he failed as a king because he couldn't hem in his bad impulses. And so God had told him just a couple chapters before, you, you blew it, man. You can't be king anymore. And so Samuel, who is being written about here, was kind of like his mentor, his, his Yoda, his spiritual like leader. And he's upset because the guy that he helped pick to be the king has totally failed. And so apparently, if you just show the, that verse again, thanks, Nick, it, it, it kind of gives you that feeling like he was just, Samuel was just kind of like sitting at home late at night, Glass of wine, like crying, listening to sad music or something. Sorry if that's too personal for you. And the Lord says to Samuel, listen, how long are you going to keep grieving over Saul? Since I rejected him from being king over Israel, so fill your horn with oil. That's like a symbol. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. But that's saying get back to work. So get your horn filled with oil and go I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite because I've provided for myself a king among his sons. We're going to have a new king. Get, together, get it together. Get to work. I also noticed something here that's uh, helpful. Have you ever watched uh, like one of those suspenseful or scary movies or TV shows that has a surprise ending? Like I see dead people, you know, or whatever. Like one of those, sorry. Uh, and the first time you watch it, it gets to the end and you're like, whoa, I never saw that coming. But I've actually learned that the second time is in some ways more enjoyable because you know where it's ending and you can watch the story wind its way. So if you've been reading the Bible for any time at all, when it says that he's going to Bethlehem, what's popping into your brain? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And you're getting this like, hey Josiah, you're getting this, uh, wow! Something important must be about to happen. Idea is kind of what's filling your brain. She says, I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel says, how can I go? This is verse 2. Samuel says, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. This totally makes sense, right? So if the king hears that the guy who anoints the kings is on his way to another town with like the oil in his hand, the king's not going to like it. That's verse 2. 
The Lord says, no, no, take a heifer with you and say I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. This is one of those times in the Bible where it seems like God is saying it's like sort of okay to be kind of deceptive for good purposes. So this doesn't mean cheat on your taxes, but like sometimes. <laughs> he says, no, no, what you're going to do is you're just going to say I'm coming to sacrifice. You're going to go do the thing you always do. And invite Jesse, the dad, invite him to the sacrifice, and then I'll show you what to do. And you shall anoint uh, for me him who I declare to you. So God says, I'm just going to tell you direct feed. You're going to get there. There's going to be a son. I'm going to tell you which one to anoint. Amazing. Samuel's task was simple, but it was also dangerous. So verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? All right, pause. So he comes out and he's like, they're like, are you here on peace? feels kind of weird. Here's why. I think I have this um, in the slides, maybe a little out of order, but it's like a couple chapters before, in verse 33, Samuel gets mad that Saul doesn't kill a king the way he's supposed to. And so then it just says that, do you see it there at the end of that verse? And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. So I don't know like how, that I don't know just, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of horror movies. I don't know if that's like a knife or an axe or like by hand or what. But the last time Samuel was like in the neighborhood, he, he just cut a guy into a bunch of pieces, which is why the people, when he, they see him kind of rolling into town, they walk in, they're like, are you here peaceably? I get it. I think reasonable, right? I think reasonable. And he says, verse 5, uh, I've come peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, which means get ready for church, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So we're going to have a worship gathering. We're going to have a prayer service is the idea. And Samuel tells them there, All right, we're going to anoint one of these sons to be king. So it says in verse 6, we're getting to the important part of the story now. When they came... He looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. This is crazy. Samuel is about to make the same mistake he made last time. Again. So whatever it is about this firstborn son, Eliab, he walks forward and Samuel thinks, he's handsome, he's tall, this must be the guy. This verse is showing us something and this text is showing us something kind of amazingly true to all human beings across time and generation in the world, which is we overrate appearance. We overrate appearance. Uh, here's a couple things that I showed you this. In the U.S. population, um, only 14.5% of all men are six feet or over. So a lot of them are lying. Let's just start there. <laughs> Ladies, if your dating profile says you're looking for a guy six feet or over, just know... 14.5%, just for free. But among CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, that number is 58%. Why? You look at a dude who's tall, and you're just kind of like, huh, he must have something. It was true, true 3,000 years ago in Israel that they thought the tall guy was the good guy was the smart guy, and it's true now. Uh, I was reading this book for a doctoral class this week, and it was... Terrible, but I did get this out of it, uh, which is this. Being unusually attractive, if people would rate you unusually attractive, 
you on average generate 33% more wages over a lifetime than someone who is averagely attractive. Now what's interesting about this is uh, we know that what is considered desirable in personal appearance ebbs and flows through time, through generation, through culture, changes, right? But what doesn't change is that people think, they have this little move they make in their minds, which is foolish, which is they think, this person is good to look at, which must mean they're good in heart. This person is good to look at, so they must be good at their job. This move is made over and over and over, and Samuel made it with Saul, and he was a bad king, and Samuel's about to make it again, so then the Lord steps in and says, but the Lord said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees, not like man sees. You maybe heard this before somewhere. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So people look at the outside and think, that person drove to church in a Tesla. They must be like, either they've had it for a while or right wing, and they must be, sorry, not that much, sorry. Uh, and they must be doing pretty well for themselves. But what the Lord can see is that car is getting repossessed on Tuesday because you stopped making the payments. <laughs> you see, we have this thing, and we're varying levels of it, but we all say, we all, say it, come on, say we all. We all struggle not to look at what is presented to us as what is real. He's saying here, now you just got to see this. God can see the stuff that you can't see. God can see the real stuff. He's saying, don't pick the king based on what he looks like. We already did this. Uh, Just a couple chapters before, when Saul was told by God that he wasn't going to be the king anymore, it was described this way, that the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So God let the people pick the first king, failure. God said, I'm going to pick the second king. I'm going to pick him based on what's on the inside. Only God has the capacity to judge a person's heart. He can see thoughts, emotions, intents. On God's scales, these matters outweigh all other aspects of a human life. All right, so that all that was to say this, that the first brother, Eliab, he's out. Now, if you're feeling uh, like this story has a little bit of that, like, first night on The Bachelor, the guys are, like, one by one stepping out of a limo to be raided, it, it does feel a bit like that. I, I know you wouldn't watch a TV show like that, but, I, you know. <laughs> so then it says the next guy, brother number two. Brother number two is usually, like, the intense, wants to be better than brother number one. one. Then Jesse called Abinadab. And made him pass before Samuel, and he said, No, nope, Lord hasn't chosen this one. Then Jesse called Shammah to pass by. Everyone knows the third brother is always the completely crazy one. If you ever have three boys in a family, the third brother is the one who's like, Who even knows where he is? And so, just like this really happened, right? So, just imagine when the third brother's walking by, you know, he was kind of doing the like, Sorry, boys, or whatever. You don't want me to do that walk, but you know what I'm saying. He said, the Lord, he said, neither the Lord hasn't chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass by Samuel, one by one, by one, by one, by one. And the Lord said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Huh. So then uh, the next part of the story, Samuel says to Jesse, 
I think, the obvious question. Are all your sons here? It's verse 11. Now, as you're reading it, like, that feels like a stupid question because, like, the spiritual leader of all Israel, of all Israel, came to town and said, we're having a worship service and a party. I mean, surely everybody gets invited to Thanksgiving dinner. Everybody gets invited to the wedding. Like. But amazingly enough, Samuel says, well, you know, there is actually the youngest one. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. This sounds like sort of, you know, charming, but it's actually a really bad diss. It's like he didn't even matter enough to get invited to the party. And worse, they were like, hey, we're going to go in back with the like, spiritual leader of our whole country. You stay out here and mow the lawn. It's kind of the idea. Uh, if you're a parent, you know this, that like, one of the things that kind of goes around and around in your brain is every child in your family that you have is different but you so desperately want every child to know you love them all the same and you never want to show favoritism or let favoritism creep you. You're trying all the time, as best as you can, to kind of like make it all feel even, even though sometimes like one of your kids, Graham, drives you just like absolutely bonkers at any given time or whatever, sorry. Just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but whatever was going on in this family was such, the dad was like, brothers one through seven, maybe, you come on in. Brother eight, you go mow the lawn. So Samuel, I love stuff in the Bible where you can tell somebody's mad. Samuel says, send and get him. Look at this part. For we will not sit down till he comes here. I like imagining this. So he, Samuel's kind of like, we're not going to sit down till he gets here. Then they had to go find David. Like, I don't think, you don't usually like keep the sheep like 20 yards away from the house. So they just had to go find him for a while. I just imagine they're all kind of standing there looking at each other like, yes, you didn't pick him, huh? Not him either. I don't know. They were just standing there for a while. And this, uh, if you, the story is going to be that in a second, David is going to get chosen. But it, it's revealing to us something I think that is very significant. Um, you see, our culture has changed a lot in the last few decades. I'm sure that you know that. But one of the ways that it's changed is uh, 40 or 50 years ago, culture aspired Many people in culture aspired to normalcy. Being a normal kid or a normal adult or a normal family was seen as something to reach for. This was like what filled all the stuff I watched on TV when I was a kid. I don't know if you know if any of these characters, maybe you can recognize and find somebody that you know in that mix. Uh, I hope I tried. Can anybody find somebody they know in there? Yeah. Um, but most of these things were based around the idea that it's great to be average. It's fantastic to just have a job and have a car and have a life and eat out on a pizza on Saturday night and a quote, quote, normal life was something to aspire to. But as our culture has grown in affluence in America, increasingly people see being normal or, to use a different word, average, as something to try to push past. That it's not enough to get into college, it has to be a certain college. It's not enough to have a house. It has to be a house that could be nice enough to be on a stupid TV show. It isn't enough to have enough for my needs. I have to be able to post pictures of all the cool, interesting places I can afford to go, this kind of thing. Does everyone understand? Do you resonate with what I'm saying? And it creates this problem because most of us, dare I say all of us, are pretty normal. We're not that special, you know? 
not that like oh yeah there's a lot of, I know a lot of the people in the room and there's a lot of wonderful people in the room and a lot of exceptional people in the room there's like nobody in this whole room that anybody's going to be writing in the history books about. The early service, it's even worse. Yeah, I, you know I said that same thing in reverse like two hours ago, right? Yeah. We're here, and we're here right now, and God has given us breath in our lungs to try to honor him and to do our best and to try to make a difference and to enjoy life and to trust him. But like, we're pretty normal. And the grace space is to see that my value to God is not defined by the world's standards of success or beauty or perception. We talk about this all the time with my kids. You don't have to be the best anything in Illinois or America or the world. Just go run around and have fun. You don't have to be the most physically fit 46-year-old in the northwest suburbs. You just need to do the very best you can with what God has given to you. There is wonderful grace. It's a gift from God. When my life, it pushes me towards accepting that I'm one of the people that God has made. We'll see this in weeks to come, but the reason why David was God's choice for king was not because he was a perfect candidate to be king. It's because he was a faithful shepherd boy is the reason why he was a perfect candidate to become king. So just put that quote back up for a second. The gray space for you and for me is acknowledging the fact I'm just kind of normal. My value to God isn't the getting to the biggest possible house or the highest corner office or the most impressive something or other, my value to God was already shown by the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for me. That's like the best gift there is. It was already given to me. And life is a whole lot more joyful when I accept where I am and who God has made me to be. So they sent, verse 12, they sent and brought him in. I just imagine like how the news came to David. They're like, hey, we need you to the party. Oh, the party you didn't invite me to? You know how brothers are, right? <laughs> it says that David was ruddy, which in the original language might mean that he was a redhead. I was a redhead when I was a kid, so I was always kind of into that idea. It's tough being, I mean, you basically just get sunburned and people think you're weird, so it's a tough run. Good for the redheads. You know, that's like the main thing. Anyways, Bobby, it's the main thing about being a redhead is you get sunburned. But it also says that he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, this is crazy, the Lord just gives it straight to Samuel. The Lord says, arise, anoint him, this is he. Whew. So then it says that Samuel took the horn of oil. Learn this, little thing, I want to teach this to you. Learn this, and it's going to help you read your Bible better. Whenever you see oil, start thinking about the word blessing. Oil is a picture of God's blessing because it was expensive, and it had a a smell to it. This isn't like now where it's like, don't go to the doctor, just rub lavender on your feet. It's just not that kind of oil. That's a, different, that's a different thing. This is a picture of God's blessing. And so he says, he took the horn of oil and he anointed him, poured oil on his head. And just imagine the visual of the vision is that as it's going into his hair and his pores, God is seeping into every part of him. 
This is like you know that David helped with the writing of the scripture because what does David want you to know about the anointing? He wants you to know that it happened in the middle of all of his brothers. (laughs) Make sure you write down that they were all there and they had to watch me get anointed. Make sure, make sure you write that part down. And it says that the spirit of the Lord, so let me teach this to you again. Uh, In the New Testament, the picture that we're given is that we get all of God through the Holy Spirit when we believe in God through Jesus Christ. But before Jesus came in the Old Testament, God's spirit was a little bit more elusive and was on people temporarily in different ways at different times. This is why there's so much brutality and confusion in the Old Testament era is God showed up in a different way personally to you and me after Jesus. Does that make sense? And so when it says there that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, it means the Holy Spirit that you and I have, he got right then from that day forward. Samuel rose up and went to Rama. That's like the season closed. Uh, episode finished. So what's happening here? Why does this matter? We're trying, and I've got four things I want to, just simple things I want to point out to you as applications in a second. But I want us to grow in taking off the glasses of seeing things, seeing myself and seeing other people through worldly standards. It's really tiring doing that like whole game, isn't it? That like pretending that the successful people are the virtuous people. I've worked a few places and been around a lot of things. Usually the successful people are the people who treat other people like garbage and claw their way over top of other people. Can we be honest? Usually the successful people aren't the good people. But the world pressures us to thinking the person that got to that spot, got to that office, got to that place must be the virtuous one. And this text here is trying to teach us, no, stop with that already. You can't see what God can see. You do not have the ability to see the way that God can see. I'm looking around the room right now. A bunch of people are in here are wearing glasses. I'm wearing contacts. Anybody in here, like, uh, if I don't have my glasses or contacts, I'm like, it's not like kind of for show or like helps me a little. I'm like legit fairly close to blind. Anybody? Yeah, Dondo. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, so you know that feeling of like, I took, I like took my glasses off and now somebody wants me to see something and it's like, It isn't won't see. Right, Don? It isn't won't see. What is it? It's can't see. You and I can't see what God sees. So what does that mean? It means we should ease like way, way, way back on strong verdicts and certainties about other people, doesn't it? It means that we should just like all the way back because... You don't know why they're doing what they're doing, what's going on behind the scenes, what's happening in their heart. We don't know what's going on inside of us half the time, if we can be honest. You ever, if you, so you have a personality anything like mine, you're like, huh, I wonder why I said that. <laughs> so what God is trying to give us here, this truth in this scripture, is a real gift. And the gift is this. If you wish what it was on the outside, the family that you have, the body that you have, the car that you have, the partner that you have, the job that you have, the kids that you have. If you wish that was something different, but you know that it can't be, work on cultivating the inside because that's what really matters to God. And second, enough already with thinking the way the world thinks. I know some really, really wealthy people that are jerks, And I know some wealthy people that are extraordinarily kind and generous. And I know some people that don't have much, 
that withhold, 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 withhold. And there are people in this church that give like $5 on Sunday because that's all that they have. And it is amazing to God because what matters, it's true, we know it, it's true with generosity, right? With what you give at church, it's not what's happening in the amount, it's what's happening in the sacrifice that matters to God. We know this is what happens with prayer. There's all kinds of people that say pray for you. I'm like pretty forgetful, so I've just worked really hard. I try never to say I'll pray for you. I just try to do it right then. It's like, you're probably going to forget, let's be honest. Like you say that, but it's like eh, 50-50 at best. Maybe that was too honest. Why does it matter? Because only, because what? God sees what's real, not what's perceived. So four truths I see in this text that I thought might be helpful at the end to apply, and then uh, we're going to pray together and we'll be done. Four things all the way back through the story now. Uh, At the very beginning of the story, Samuel is grieving the loss of the plan that he wanted, and he's just doing nothing. And God says, you remember this at the beginning, he said, get get the horn of oil, get back out, go to work. For some people today, and I'm just going to let these fall where they fall and trust God to apply. For some people, it's time to get back in the game. You've been on the sideline, the sideline of getting involved in church, the sideline in trying again in relationships, the sideline in fully utilizing the gifts God's given you in your career because you got hurt or something happened. Or... And for some people, it's time. The season of grieving was important, but the season of grieving is over. It's time to get back to work for somebody in Jesus' name. Uh, two, you remember at the part in the story where Samuel's about to anoint the brother who looks just kind of like Saul? He's going to make the same mistake again. Second thing, this is for somebody today. Until I understand the past, I'm doomed to repeat it. We did this great class in church school this past fall. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have it again. It's about learning how your emotions impact your spirituality. And one of the things they say in that class that I love is Jesus may be in my heart, but grandpa and grandma are still in my bones. And it's pointing to the truth that the things that have happened in my life affect me even now. And if you spend so much time upset about how on earth did I think he was the right guy, crazy enough, you can still end up picking that same guy again. With like a slightly different name, you know. Like that one, remember that thing like where Rachel isn't dating Ross anymore, she starts dating that guy Russ who looks just like Ross? <laughs> Hey, all right. That was, yeah. It's good. All right. Yeah, it was good. Three. Uh, I want somebody to hear today that human rejection doesn't mean heavenly conclusion. I want somebody to hear today that you've been racking your brain for years trying to figure out why didn't dad care about me? And it sucks if I can, and it was wrong. But just because he rejected you doesn't mean your heavenly father feels the same way. And we're, we're tempted so often to put those two things together. Uh, I talk about this a lot, that like, often we're tempted to feel that we deserve the circumstances that come our way. Which sometimes that's true, you know. But also a lot of times things happen that have nothing to do with the bad choices that we make. They just are really, really challenging things that reveal a sovereign God that's hard to understand. And just because that person you were married to rejected you and walked away, 
just because those kids that you've worked hard to raise are treating you like you're the dumbest person on the planet right now. Just because you came from a dysfunctional family instead of a functional one, and it's really hard to put all that together. Don't let yourself think that that's God's verdict on you, friend. And then the fourth thing, uh, God's presence, this is what happens when the oil starts to run on David and the spear comes on him. God's presence is always evidence of his favor. So I'm like, we're trying to figure out, you know, like, which way do I go? Where, where do I? Sometimes, this is what makes life challenging, but a lot of times, the company that calls you back and says, do you want to come in for the third interview? That's, that, that's God's way of showing you where he wants you to go. Uh, Christian and I were talking this morning, we were laughing, because uh, Kim Stratton was supposed to be here singing today, and then she's sick, or, you know, whatever she's doing. But she is sick, she says. But if you know her, she's crazy, so anything could be true. Uh, and K- Chris and I were talking about when we were interviewing for her to come. She's our outreach minister, and she's making such an amazing impact in our community. And I feel like our church won the lottery that she works here. And we were talking about how the first time that she came, uh, when she was interviewing, Kim was up here singing. And Kim is one of our worship leaders, and she was a recording artist like 30 years ago. And Christian was telling me this morning that she used to sing over and over this one song that Kim had put out when she was a kid, a teenager, and sing it to God. And then she showed up, man, should I I work at this place? And the lady was on the stage singing it, probably forgetting the words to her own song. And (laughs) these little things that God does, do you see what I'm talking They're evidences of his favor. And if you are in a place where God is working and his favor is on your life, nothing can stop it. You're blessed, you're in a church where God is working right now and we're thankful and that's the place that you want to be Uh, like maybe you've had this experience where a good way of knowing is God in this is when I give the same amount of effort but I seem to get disproportionate success have you ever been part of something like that where like I went to work for the same amount of time but somehow I'm making tons more money I made the same amount of calls more people called me back I I there just seems to be God is right here and we can sometimes misunderstand that but my point is just this When God's presence got on this guy, David, this guy, David, who his family didn't even think was worthy to show up at the party, when the guy, the family was like, there's no way it's this guy. When God's presence was on it, he was a mighty king, the greatest king in all the history of Israel. You're going to show up in a couple weeks and he's going to kill Goliath and he's going to do amazing things like the greatest in the history of the Jewish nation. David is the pinnacle, not because of who he seemed to be, but because God was with him, nothing could stop him. So I just want to try to push those things to you today. I wonder, why don't you just bow your head for a second? And uh, I just want to pray for you for a second. I want to let God just put those things into your heart however he would desire to now. Let's just quiet our hearts before him for a minute here. us of this 
temptation that we often feel to evaluate based on externals, this difficulty that we have seeing things the way that you see them. And so I'm just asking, Lord, I'm asking for me, I'm asking for our church, I'm asking for us, would you help us to see the way that you see, and would you free us from the ways in which our messed up ways of thinking really bring us into hurt and harm. Please help us, Lord. Please help us, Lord. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, I'm praying. If you agree, why don't you say amen and stand to your feet. We'd love to... uh, serve you or engage you in any way we can. Christian is here. She's going to pray with some folks at the end if you need to be prayed for. And, uh, we would love to minister to you in any way that we can. It's a really bright sunny day out there. It's feeling good right now to me. I don't, it's been a while since we've seen the sun. God is with us and uh, we're thankful that you're part of it. We can minister to you in any way that we want to. Thank you so much for coming today, everybody. This is good news. We will see you soon. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is good news.